your hour of drive time begins now with your host, Jay Mamie, on the Jay Mamie Talk Show. Good day, everyone, and welcome once again to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. This is Jay Mamie, and you have now entered your hour of Thrive Time. I want to welcome those of you listening to the program for the very first time today. You are in for a treat. And for those of you that are returning to support this program, thanks again for being a part of our journey as we are now ushering our third successful season. And I'm amazed that when I first got the call to consider having a radio talk show, uh, it was one month just about one month after COVID had started to really rear uh, the ugliness of that uh, that pandemic. And uh, I think that at that time, I thought to myself, why would I begin a program that um, during a time when people are concerned about other things, who would want to listen to a radio talk show? And boy, was I dead wrong. I think the timing of this program couldn't be any, any, on, uh, couldn't be any more appropriate, meaning that theme and the content that this show has now been known to deliver was exactly what the doctor ordered back then, metaphorically speaking, back in those early days of the COVID pandemic, creating havoc among uh, among all of us in, in a very depressing way. And this show took off like a bandit. I think we brought messages uh, to people at the time that needed to hear uh, not only content of inspiration, but content of hope and then applicable, actionable, thought-provoking messages that they can take with them for the rest of the week. And here we are three years later entering our third successful season with all sorts of people that have been on a program. I mean, we've had all sorts of people on the program and we've discussed many, many topics and we're excited about what the next three years are going to bring. And today's show is absolutely no different. The quality that you have now come to expect if you are a returning listener, you're going to find that on today's program as well. And if you're joining us again for the first time, you're going to mark this as a weekly activity on your growth thrive-minded calendar which I hope you have one. If not, you better make one up, okay? And if, you, if you're if you not intent on being on, on, on thriving and, and growing, then uh, you've arrived at the wrong place at the wrong time. Because <laughs> this is where you learn how to thrive and you have arrived at the right place at the right time for that kind of content. And uh, so today is going to be no different, as I mentioned. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing from our two spectacular guests. Our featured guest today is a gentleman that is really taking uh, the social media by storm Um, Not only did he come up with the ever-popular, ever-growing, global sensation PGA memes, but he's also the founder of Five Nine Media, and he's directly involved in this current uh, current expansion and merger of PGA and Live. So we're going to have some insightful conversation with Travis Miller, the founder and the creator of PGA Memes, the marketing company that he owns, 5.9 Media, but also his interactions with the merger between uh, PGA and Live. And we're going to find out from him all the goodness he's got to offer. And then we're going to also have a chance to chat with someone who I believe really exemplifies how do you turn, which is a theme of this show, how do you turn passions to profit? And then we're going to hear from Grant Norwood, the founder of Norwood Energy Corp right here in Dallas, Fort Worth. We're going to pick his brain. We're going to find out what drove him to turn those passions into profit in the field of energy. So we've got a jam-packed show today. And as I mentioned, our theme for this show is turning passions into profit. Now, I know many of you are entrepreneurially minded. Many of our listeners have a thrive-minded spark to them. Maybe you currently are an employee and you are looking at uh, how do I turn my passion into a profit? It could very well be that what you're doing right now, you're not excited about it. And you uh, you know there's bigger and better out there, but you are sort of stuck in a place where you are accustomed to a routine. Maybe there's people that you work with that you don't like. Maybe there's a company you're not really excited to go to work for. Maybe what they pay you, you're not uh, thrilled about. And, and But more importantly, you've got deeper passions. You know you've got greater skill sets, greater gifts that have a greater calling right? Well, those are passions. The problem is most people don't know how to turn those passions into profit in any meaningful, successful way. Am I speaking to anybody today? 
So I want you to know that if you are that person that has has bubbling up inside of you this this knowing that there is more for you out there and you have passions, you've got skill sets, there are other things that you know that you're good at that you want to pursue, but you're stuck and you don't know how to convert that passion, that uh, that that desire that you have into something that you can make a living at, right? Because that's the key. How do I make a living out of something that I'm passionate about? Well, let me encourage you to consider what I would call the six elements of passion to profit conversion. The six elements of how to turn your passion into profit. And I give you these elements with wisdom. I give them to you because I've lived them. I've coached others how to live through them. And I've also learned from the mishaps of others what not to do in order to succeed uh, rather, in order to avoid failing in that conversion process, when you are going from an employee to an entrepreneur, you're turning passions into profits. So this would be a good time to jot down notes, my friend. This is one of those areas where in this Thrive Talk, I'm dropping the knowledge bombs. First element in turning your passion into profit is you have to have a game plan. I can't tell you how many individuals I speak with who they confess to me that their effort failed It fell flat because they didn't have a structured, logistical, logical (laughs) game plan. They had no strategy. They had this burning desire to, to break free of corporate America, but they really had nothing to pour that into that made any solid sense. And they quickly found out that winging it won't work. Winging it is not a strategy. You have to have a solid game plan of exit. In other words, your exit strategy has to be thought through so that your entry point into the world of entrepreneur, into the world of turning your passions into profit, uh, will be a lot easier, a lot smoother because it's a lot more calculated. Does that make sense? You have to have a game plan and it may take some time to create a game plan. Don't be too quick to rush that game plan. Don't be too, uh, too quick to jump into it. You have to sometimes uh, practice self-restraint, right? Don't let your emotions get the best of you. I know so many people, they go to work one day, they get so pissed off at work, things don't go right that they immediately decide, I'm going to go do something else. I'm going to pursue that passion without a game plan. And before you know it, they're back at the job. Don't let that be you. Second element you have to have is you have to have sales skills. You have to develop effective communication skills. Why? Because A new idea that is exciting uh, to you, but new to someone else, it demands the proper expression of that idea where someone else sees the value. Just because your idea in your own head is good, just because the passion you have is good, the skills you have is good, is wonderful. You are sold on you being a pro at it. You're sold that what you've got to offer is going to bring value to the world. But you've got to make sure that you effectively communicate that to another person. So you best have sales skills, effective communication skills, and persuasion skills to have others rally around your cause even when they don't see what you see. And then you have to have leadership skills. The ability to get the right people around you is a must when you are turning your passions into profit. And let me give you the last three. There better be the right time. There has to be the right time. Timing is everything. You could have the greatest product in the world, the greatest game plan skill set. You could be ready to go. But if the timing isn't right, then you could still fall short and fail and be discouraged and, and disappointed in yourself. Timing has to be right. Timing sometimes takes patience for it to develop. That means you have to use wisdom and exercise caution. The last two, long-term thinking. You have to think long-term. Turning your passions into profits sometimes takes a long time. You have to be in it to win it for the long haul. Think long-term. And lastly, here's the final element. You have to be a mold breaker. What I mean by that, you have to be willing to break the mold, have a mold breaker mindset. You can't do things the same way others have been doing it. You got to break the mold, do something different, uh, present differently, find another way to become creative, not competitive. And at the end of the day, the the difference that you show, the ingenuity that you show, uh, the, the creativity that you display in your pursuit 
is really was going to allow others to see your passion behind it. Be a mold breaker, not a follower, not a copier, not someone who compares what others are doing and tries to tweak it. No, you break the mold in the field that you are pursuing. Turn your passions into profits can happen and happens for millions. History is loaded with individuals who've done it. You're going to hear from two coming up after the break. Follow those elements and you'll have success just like they have success as well. We're coming back after the break. Hey there, Grow Getter. Are you a new or aspiring entrepreneur who is tired of all the different messages that you're getting about how to grow your business? Or maybe you are a seasoned entrepreneur who has been experiencing burnout and not really sure where to go right now with your business. Well, my name is Carolee Moore, and I am the co-host of the Be More Mindful podcast, where we help you to shift your mindset so you can transform your business. If you want to learn more, visit us at www.bemoremindful.com. That is B. M-O-O-R-E, mindful.com. Hey guys, it's Sarah Jones from Cancer Support Community North Texas, where we believe in a continuum of care for everybody impacted by a cancer diagnosis. This means the patients and their friends and family too. All of our services are completely free. You can find us in Dallas, North Fort Worth, and Collin County. You can reach us at cancersupporttexas.org or give us a call at 214-345-8230. Don't forget to go to our website and check out the How to Help tab. That's where you can buy tickets to our third annual gala. Hope to see you there. Welcome back to the Jay Mamie Talk Show with your host, Jay Mamie. Welcome back, everyone, to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. Having a fantastic conversation that we're about to begin with Travis Miller. I said in my opening segment that Travis is the founder and CEO of PGA Memes, but he's also the founder and CEO of 590 marketing. But what's interesting about Travis is that he had that point where he started to turn his passions into profit years ago, successful sales executive, and found out that's not exactly what his calling was. Um, like many of us, we get stuck at a job, we, we take the paycheck because it's the consistency, certainty, and predictability of bringing money home. That's right. <laughs> and then we, we go, we make this crazy decision to get involved in the entrepreneurial life. And as I said in my opening segments, there's elements that have to be in place in order for you to have a successful transition and turning passions into profit. And no one better to, to speak about that than a sensation himself. Again, this PGA memes is, is a global sensation. Um, that five years ago was just a thought in your mind, right? It was just like a something to do. And all of a sudden, here we are five years later. We're going to dive into all the goodness that Travis Miller is going to share with us. Travis, welcome to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to dive into this and talk a little bit. Brother, we, we've got a lot to unwrap. We're going to get into your background. We're going to get into the PGA means. We're going to get into digital marketing. We're going to get into this whole merger between PGA and Live and and your 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 non-profit, well, non-prof, your charitable uh, events. You've got yeah. a lot of those things happening as well. So you, you're a man's, uh, you, you are someone who is, uh, admired by many and you're right here in Dallas. Yeah. Moved to Dallas in 2008 for work on the corporate side, never mm-hmm. been to Texas before, but found it home now. And it's perfect. I travel all the time and it's right in the middle of the country, easy to get anywhere I need to go and calling it home for now still. So so you were successfully doing sales, right? In yeah. a number of capacities, but I think your last one was in in um, home security. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, you had actually founded, uh, co-founded, got involved with an, with a company early on that you started with yeah. a couple of partners, right? Yeah. So in college, um, all poor athletes. I was a baseball player. I lived with eight other um, football players. Mm-hmm. So we're all poor. We don't have, have very much money uh, to our name. I think I had like $40. So yeah, more than me. <laughs> yeah. So one of my, one of my buddies came home one night and he said, Hey, um, one of my, uh, buddies who came, they went on a Mormon mission together or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he came home and said, Hey, I, I made $250,000 last summer knocking doors, selling alarm systems. I'm 18 years old. And I'm like, wow. Okay. Right. They're holding a pizza party tonight. Let's talk about it. So we went out there, listened to the guy. I looked at him and I said, Hey, if I can, I think I can sell twice as much as this guy, but if I can sell half as much as he did and make 50 to a hundred thousand dollars, I'm like, I'm set. Mm -hmm. So all of us moved to Chicago. It got me into sales and got me a little bit of that taste of entrepreneurship at an early age, which helped me, you know, get to where I'm at today. Let me ask you this. So you could have stayed where you were at, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, you're doing well. You climbed up the rank. You were one of the the nation's highest sales executives. I think uh, even at a VP level, right? So you were well on your way, but you mentioned that you saw what the top level looked like and you weren't excited about arriving at that pinnacle. 
Yeah, I mean, so I started this company with some friends, and while I was there, we pivoted and created some software that was proprietary to our business, but also companies like us. And there's there was like several thousand companies similar to what we did, and so I just got to a point where I was the only non blood related person in the family, mm-hmm. and I just like to always look down the road and look at what's next. And although I was still passionate about home security, and I saw like the uh, technology advancing um, super quick. I just didn't see it being there. So I, I got bought out of my portion of the company and went onto the corporate side, which ultimately was a great thing for me. I went to go work for Brinks Home Security. They're the second largest mm-hmm. alarm yep. company in the, yeah. in, in the country. And I learned a lot and it helped me on that side of the business side because entrepreneurship, you know, I jumped right in at an early age, but you don't have a lot to lose mm-hmm. at an early age. Right. So it was easy for me to just take that leap. From the corporate side, I got to learn a lot. I had a lot of mentors that led me through the way. And over time, that luster, that love I had for home security and um, smart home automation just dried up. And I was Mm. doing the job, you know, with my eyes closed and just lost, you know, that passion that I had. But I was working with a lot of like-minded business people. We had a network of authorized dealers. Mm -hmm. And part of my job was to nurture those relationships and to uh, wine and dine and just and go out and help them with their marketing strategies, which included digital media. Mm-hmm. But a lot of time we found spending to get uh, with each other was on the golf course. And I was a baseball player, like I said, and I never golfed, but I found myself loving golf. It was mm-hmm. a great place for me to network, close business deals, but we just had a lot of fun, you know, have some drinks with some buddies, uh, talk smack back and forth, maybe bet a little bit and just have fun no matter how good you played. And no matter what your age was, golf, I learned quickly, is a sport that you can play forever. And it just brings a lot of different types of people together in this world. And obviously with charity work as well. So mm-hmm. that's kind of where I got my start into golf. And then the rest was history there once I started these these digital uh, marketing companies. So PGA memes, right? So he, I mean, it's, it's a global sensation. It started off because you were on the golf course, right, early on. Yep. And you found out, hey, this is a, a fun time, right? The the public persona, the public perception, oftentimes, like me, I am not a big golfer. I fully admit that. And when I watch these guys play, it looks dry. It looks crusty, yeah. right? Yep. It just doesn't look like a lot of fun. However, that's the viewer contrast, right? What really happens on the golf course, as you just said, it's a lot of relationship, a lot of fun. Is that what motivated you to start this PGA meme or what actually inspired you to say, maybe there's something here that's that's fun that the public needs to see a different side of it? It is exactly. You know, I, I look at it and I call it really like virgin territory. There's some places where you go or some some opportunities that just haven't been touched. I myself loved memes. I think mm-hmm. the humor around memes is great. And even in my past life, just strictly business and, and sales marketing, I'd always find myself looking at certain meme pages or I'd have some get sent to me. Mm-hmm. And then you just laugh like in your hotel room. You're like laughing to yourself. Maybe you send it off to like a dozen friends or so. Mm-hmm. And with golf, I found that humor and, and the, you know, the fun side of it that you can have. And I thought to myself, I had that kind of aha moment. I'm like, this is not exactly what I see with golf on TV myself, but mm-hmm. I have so much fun playing and I got, I got addicted so quickly. So I kind of just said, Hey, look, let's maybe create something here and see what happens. Didn't have a plan right out of the gate, but it picked up traction quickly because uh, there was really nothing like it. And I was really pushing the boundaries of humor. And mm-hmm. golf is such a personal, uh, personalized sport, an individual sport compared to like making fun of NBA, NFL and all that stuff. Golf, I found uh, people really kind of sh- shake the the cage a little bit with how these golfers were perceived and just you know, these amateur golfers like myself, mm-hmm. 99% of us that are just degenerates out there wanting to play <laughs> and get better, you know, people loved it. So it grew real quickly and I, I stopped what I was doing and I just said, Hey, look, I need to put a strategy together over the next couple of years of how I could build this to become a platform that I can do a lot of cool stuff with, uh, make it a cause for good, but also find some opportunities to maybe turn this into my gig and find mm. something I'm passionate about. Mm. And it only took me about 18 months or so to get there. But luckily, I had my other job that I was still doing simultaneously, mm-hmm. still took it serious because mm-hmm. I didn't want to lose that. Smart. Um, yeah. But when it was time to make the leap, you know, it was a tough decision. I don't care how well you're doing. It's still a tough decision. But I made it and I haven't looked back since. And I'm, I'm happy for that decision for sure. You know, you said two things there that uh, dovetail to what I spoke about earlier in my opening segment. You decided that it's important to have a long term strategy. Right. So there's passion that you were developing. Right. There's this meme idea. 
um, you stuck at your job, smart move, but you realize if this is going to work, it has to have a long-term strategy. And you built out a long-term uh, strategy, which is why it's successful here. Yep. So I appreciate that. Let's talk a little bit about that, though, because I think a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of entrepreneurs that are coming from the employee background, they jump the gun too soon. You go, you go to work one day, you're frustrated, somebody pisses you off or whatever, you don't get the raise, and you say, forget this, I'm moving on to something that I'm passionate about, and they jump into their own business without having a strategy. Why has that helped you, and what did you now, what are you looking back now, what do you find that you didn't calculate that had you jumped too soon, it would have been a cause for failure? Yeah, I mean, for me, I was fortunate enough to where I was selling products or anything like that mm -hmm. right at the gate, so I think all businesses are different. And these, these leaps of faith that you can take obviously can be different uh, levels of leaps that you need to take and there's stages of what you need to do. For me, I wanted to build this brand to where it was something that was known and trusted and people you know enjoyed it. I cultivated relationships over that first year, year and a half, whether that be with celebrities, uh, yep. some of the pro golfers, media figures in the space. And then also what I found is a lot of athletes that play you know, whether it's NBA playing for the Dallas Mavericks or they're playing for the stars or you name it, it seems like a lot of them love golf. And mm -hmm. when they retire from their sport, they, they tend to go play golf a little bit more often and stuff. And so I kept building a notable um, audience and I was doing the right things. And when I wanted to branch off, when I started creating merchandise, when I wanted to create production and longer form content or podcast, I was ready to do it. And it was mm -hmm. going to be something that the audience was going to jump to and and it was going to bring fruitful partnerships and whatnot to the table. Um, and to, to the point where I didn't have to grind so hard on that side of it to make it work. It just naturally came, came to me there at the end. And simultaneously, I kept my job. I kept my insurance. Mm -hmm. I kept doing Smart. what I needed to do because, <laughs> you know, if you can, if you do that leap too quickly and the, the revenue is not coming in, right. you get put in a position where if you have a good product, you have a good business and you're a hard worker, you can still do it, but you might have to bring seed money to the table. You might have to give up a percentage of your company. Um, and that was something that I didn't want to do. It was something I didn't need to do. And so by doing it the way I did, I own hundred percent of everything I do. I've self-funded mm -hmm. everything and the lion's share of everything that I do typically has a sponsor tied to it because I've already have that bigger audience. I'm able to make it advantageous for myself, for the guests that I bring on for mm -hmm. the, the content I do. And then also for the brands that, that, you know, tie their wagon to what I do. You know, you, you said something key. Long-term relationships, you, you, during this, this build-up phase, right, you were building relationships uh, that have served you well, Yes. right? Yeah. So that's fantastic. Let me ask you this. At what point, though, did you realize that, hey, what I'm working on here, my part-time passion could be my full-time dream? Yeah. Honestly, so for me, I have, a, I have an agent, <clears throat> which is funny. A lot of people laugh like, you have an agent? And I'm like, no, I do. Because like, there's obviously big opportunities out there with, with brands that want to put their spend towards companies and brands like myself now in the mm -hmm. digital space. And, but for me, I was exploring kind of what was even available and what could be, right? And so there's a company here, um, Mizzen and Maine. They do men's apparel and they were getting into golf and I got connected to them somehow. And I went and did a pitch meeting myself. I mean, I put decks together all the time and I'm, mm -hmm. I meet with high level executives often. So it wasn't anything that I was afraid to do or something I wasn't prepared for, but this was the first time I was going to do it for PGA memes. Mm. So I put a show together real quick of what I wanted to do. It was called on the T where I was going to be inter interviewing a variety of different people, asking them kind of like five quick fire questions about golf, having it be fun. And so I went and pitched Mizzen and Maine on it and I pitched them, you know, kind of a mid-level five figure deal just kind of wondering what the reaction would be. And by the time I could even finish my pitch, I got a yes wow. right away. And so I was like, all right, maybe I asked for too little, you know, we'll see. And this way it's a bargain basement. Yeah. And so I did this by the way, on a break from my corporate job, you know, I was high level VP, but I was like, Hey, I'm going to sneak away real quick. I have a meeting, drove to Dallas, had this meeting at Mizzen in Maine. And then when I got in the car, I was like, this is it. You know, uh -huh. like I literally just got a deal that's going to be about the size of, you know, my year end bonus or, wow. you know, or whatnot. And like, what am I doing here? Mm -hmm. I'm like, this was fun to put this project together. It brought out this, this creative energy that I haven't, haven't been using for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And wow, there's so much more that I could do with this and how, how much fun could that be? And so that drive back to the office, my mind was just spinning and I put that energy over uh, to good use over the next couple of months of really how I can transition and then COVID happened yeah. and 
I worked for a guy who was a complete germaphobe and did not want anybody near the office, did not want anybody traveling. And it just allowed me to continue to do my job on cruise control even more uh, on Zoom when I needed to. It didn't matter where I was. And I just took off with the golf business and didn't look back. And about wow. 12 months from there, I was ready just to, to hang it up and just do golf full time. You know, it's amazing. You, you had said something that was key there. And part of the part of the, the the challenge with most people is that they don't recognize when the promise turns to potential. And you in that car gotten that check. You got that check. You said, "Hey, this this promise is promise of something good now has the potential to change my life." People miss that window. Yeah. They and do. they miss it because of fear. Right? They're staring them right in the face. They realize the potential, the promise has now become strong potential, but they never make the pivot because of fear. Yep. And our last minute before we go to break, you gave a deck slide uh, presentation, mm-hmm. right? Within a few minutes, they were sold. Yes. I spoke early on in the show that if you're going to turn your passions into profit, you have to bring over transferable skills. What would you say before we go to break? I'll we'll pick it up afterwards. Are some of your what well, some of your transferable skills that you brought from your successful career that have served you well now? I mean, for me, I'm a personable person, so I feel like you know, being a chameleon and trying to understand and, and adapt to different types of people' personalities that's key. But I'm also a good listener. I mean, a lot of companies that I align myself or work with, I have to fully understand what their KPIs are and what their needs are mm-hmm. and how they can utilize their budgets, and so. I, I did that all the time with my own company that I, I ran before and then the, the larger company that I worked for later on and then aligning myself with other partners that worked with that business. That's what we did is we shaped their strategies and counseled them on where they should spend their money and stuff. And so going in well-prepared with the right confidence and a strategy that was, there you, go. you know, I felt versatile. Like if I had several different lanes that I can present to them to where their money wasn't just solely in, in one basket and I could tell them that their return on investment was going to be protected because we'll sprinkle it out in several different ways. You know, the yeses I get nine out of 10 times, you mm-hmm. know, you just have to go in with that right strategy, that confidence and a game plan, but it all comes down to really listening and understanding who you're working with and shape the strategies around what they, you know, that's going to serve them. And ultimately you're going to cultivate those long-term relationships. Like we talked about awesome. and not looking for any, you know, quick bucks to make. I want to, create relationships that are longer lasting and can Mm -hmm. be fruitful for everybody. Travis, when we come back after the break, I want to talk a little bit about this PGA live merger, right? There's some positive size, some downsides, some negative things that are out there. Let's clear the deck on that based on your insight and your, your relationship there. And let's pick that up after the break. Hi, this is Jay Mamie. As a lifelong fitness enthusiast and professional bodybuilder, I know the importance of removing impurities and flushing out toxins to maintain a healthy colon and intestinal system. This is why I take and recommend Renew from First Fitness Nutrition. It also has helped me replenish my probiotics, which is necessary for a healthy gut. Learn more at healthyfriends.firstfitness.com. Friends, this is Jay Mamie, and I'm thrilled to announce that our merchandise site is now open for business. My inspirational quotes, encouragement words, and thought-provoking phrases can be printed on a number of very cool items to help you stay in thriving mode. Make sure to visit my website, thejmamie.com. Look for the store link. Check out the items. Once again, that'll be at thejmamie.com. Welcome back to the Jay Mamie Talk Show with your host, Jay Mamie. Welcome back, everyone, to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. Having a phenomenal conversation with the founder and CEO of PGA Memes, Travis Miller. Travis, we left off uh, really just filling 10 pounds of groceries in a two-pound bag of content. (laughs) (laughs) But I want to continue to fill that bag. 2008, PGA Memes didn't exist. That's right. uh, 2018, rather, yes. didn't exist. Six years later, it's a global sensation, close to a million of Instagram followers. And there is a large segment of the world that doesn't even know that it exists yet, right? So you're yeah. at the beginning. You're not, you haven't even scratched the surface. You haven't even scratched the, 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 the scratch of the surface uh, itself. How do you go from zero to almost a million Instagram followers in less than five years in a, in a memes of a sport? Yeah, I mean, I... I never would have guessed that it'd be like this at this point. Right. But for me, I think the best answer to that question is just 
being myself, using my twist, uh, sick, twisted mind, sense of humor, <laughs> and finding something that was new and, and foreign in that golf space, virgin territory. Like for me, I see a lot of meme pages now that have derived in the golf space that you know are there probably because of PJ memes. And I've found that a lot of them are just like kind of copying one another. They're mm-hmm. reposting each other's content. Mm. So for the first few years, everything that was posted on that page came from my brain. And which is a lot. And sometimes there were days I'd post a lot depending on what was going on, but it was very creative, new content, fresh. And I tested the boundaries of the, the golf world as, as people knew it at that point. I went hard at players. I went hard at brands when, when they were doing dumb stuff on the course or something happened. I towed the lines sometimes of what people would find, you know, tasteless, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. And, but always doing it on board, like not doing it or above board, excuse me. And I pissed off some people along the way. Mm-hmm. And the good thing is I've gone back and I've, I've mended those fences with those players. Once the brand got big enough, I got to meet these people face to face. We had a few good laughs about some of the stuff because like I said earlier, golf is individual. So when you attack a, a player, it's on them right. versus attacking like the Dallas Mavericks. It's a team and the fans can get a little upset. Maybe mm-hmm. Mark Cuban gets upset, but mm-hmm. the player individually might not care as much. Right? right. So just finding stuff unique, different and sticking to that. People really just gravitated to that, and then my content was getting shared by the masses. And so today, if I if I make a really good meme, it could get shared one hundred and twenty thousand times wow. out there to people who potentially don't know who right. I am or follow it. Right. And so new followers just continue to happen, and it's a snowball effect. Well, the key I I think I heard you say before is to be creative, not competitive, right? To be creative, not be cocky. Yeah, and that's how you can build a, a brand like you built so far. Hundred percent. The PGA uh, recently merged with Live, right? Um, it's an uproar, right, to say the least. You know, uh, uh, there's moving parts uh, on the positive side and negative side. What can you share, though, to sort of help people understand the details behind what what they're not knowing and, and really what's what's not being talked about? Yeah, so I mean, I've been right in the middle of this from the beginning. I'm, I'm actually really good friends with Greg Norman, and when he took the job as CEO and uh, Commissioner of Live. I was one of the first few phone calls about, hey, I would love to have you involved in some capacity. You have a youthful audience, and that's exactly who we're targeting at Live. And so I was at the inaugural event uh, last year in London, which would just hit the one-year anniversary. <clears throat> and it was an incredible experience. A lot of the players who went over to Live got tremendous heat, obviously, um, just leaving the tradition of the PGA Tour. There was a lot of negativity about where the money was coming from. Mm-hmm. And people were, you know everything under the sun, you know, trying to push the a negative narrative of what these guys were doing. And at the end of the day, no one was looking at what the PGA tour maybe had done that pushed these players right. to this, this spot. And you see a lot of stuff in sports in the NBA, NFL, major league baseball, where the athletes are compensated very well. Um, whether it doesn't matter what their performance is on a given week to week basis on the PGA tour, it's, it's exactly the opposite. Mm-hmm. Phil Mickelson, Tiger Woods, you name it, the best and the biggest names in the sport can pay their own way to the event this week and bring their entourage of people and their staff. If they play poorly, they make zero dollars and they're on, you know, they're out however much money. And depending on how big you are of a name or a brand, it's more money because you're flying private and you're mm-hmm. bringing people out. You might not be staying at the same regular hotel. And so it's tough, but the ticket sales that are happening, the media rights that are being sold are because of those marquee players. And so you had a few players at the top that really pushing the narrative. And the thing that's funny now where we're at today, you know, Jay Monahan, the PGA tour commissioner was really taking like the moral high ground and he was pushing loyalty to his players to try to prevent them from signing on to this new live league. And you had a lot of people jump ship that made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And then you had a lot of players who were rumored to go that didn't. And that were also offered high five, um, high, you know, 50 to $75 million deals. Some of them rumored 200, $300 mm-hmm, million right. dollar deals that didn't get accepted. And here you are now less than 12 months later uh, from some of those offers and the, the tours, you know, announcing a merger or new plans to come together with the PIF. I mean, very disheartening for a lot of these guys. Right. Uh, there's still so much to come out of this, right? I don't think a lot of people know exactly what it's going to look like, what the future of live is. And, what, you know, how it's all going to come together, how those guys maybe come back to play on the PGA Tour. But in my talks with a lot of the players um, that didn't make the uh, leap over to live, they're upset. They feel like they got taken advantage of and they still don't know what the future, you know, is for them. 
Um, I'm not sure if they jump over and play a little bit of the live league stuff. Um, there's just a lot to, to still figure out. I'm going to head out to the U S open tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've got the, the third major of the year. So I'm excited to get out there and maybe talk to some of these guys face to face and see what they've heard. But I did sign with live on a contract basis from on the five, nine side. Mm-hmm. And so we're producing, um, a vodcast and I'm one of the presenters in it. So I'll be over in Spain and London with them in a couple of weeks and plan to learn a lot, but man, golf is an interesting space, but I'll tell you on the PJ meme side, it's been great because all the controversy and drama right, works uh, for you. content has <laughs> just been writing itself, man. Right. So I've just been going along with it and having fun. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. I would imagine that probably the greatest gripe that a lot of the players have is a sense of disloyalty, right? Uh, I mean, they, they, from what I understand, uh, they they displayed their loyalty early on by not signing over to live, and all of a sudden, from one day to the next, overnight, no one's even given any forewarning. The merger occurs, yeah. right? Yeah. So I I could see that as being a real hard kick in the face. Um, I mean, I'm sure you see it the same way, or you you probably spoken to guys that feel that way. Yeah, I mean, like Ricky Fowler's a uh, guy who I wor- I've worked with a little bit on the five nine side, and someone who I've always looked up to. He's a great player, a great guy. I know he turned down multiple offers. Mm-hmm. Haven't been able to talk to him personally on how he feels, but I'm sure it's not great. Right. Uh, like Rory McIlroy is a guy who never, I think, officially got an offer because I think he was just like a, an absolute no. He's mm-hmm. more of a traditionalist. He's more into like the legacy of the PGA Tour, but he's won multiple majors. He's won a lot of events. And he's already made hundreds of millions of dollars too. Right. So it's not yeah. like he's hard up for the money, but he's someone who I think took the leap and really became the face of the PGA tour. I think he stood out there and was more critical of live and everything that was going on. And to me, up until that point, I never really had any feeling towards Rory McIlroy negative or positive, you know, and now I just have this negative kind of feel towards him, even though I've heard he's a great guy. Um, I've, I think he's a tremendous player. But he put himself out there, and it was kind of just got to the point where it was a broken record. Everyone was kind of tired of it. He's been the butt of a lot of jokes that we've made. And I can't help but feel sorry for him at this point because I feel like his person, like his brand, his personal brand, and maybe his legacy is a little tainted of just everything he's had to do and the burden he's carried this last year from the loyalty standpoint of defending the tour, defending Jay Monahan. And then here we go. And this is exactly what they did full circle. They've done everything. They did everything that they told these players that they, they shouldn't do. They did it for themselves. Yeah. They're signing with the PIF. That's going to be their primary funder. They're going to be merging with this Live League. We mm-hmm. don't know what that looks like yet. It's got to be very disheartening. And, and for me, like I feel personally bad for Rory McIlroy because yeah. he's put himself out there so much sure. this year. And now he just looks like he's got you know egg on his face. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Based, pure speculation here, right? Because there are details that are still unknown. But fast forward. How does this merger change the dynamic of the game? Well, I can tell you now that live being as close to it as I've been, it's it's such a great change of pace to golf. Uh, a lot of the guys involved and what they're kind of going at is more like the F1 formula, like of what they've done with that sport. You see high energy with golf. You don't think high energy. You think a long day of, of golf. It's boring. When you go to a live event, there's a shotgun start, meaning that every tee box is utilized. Everyone's teeing off at the exact same time. So if you want to go to a golf event with me and it's a live event, we could literally go at like 1230 watch everybody kind of tee off and hang out for like four hours and the event's over and you can drink, you can hang out. There's loud music throughout the entire course. Wow. It's a, it's a vibe. It's a lot of fun. And so you see a different audience there. Mm -hmm. We've also seen a lot of like the PGA tour kind of loyalists and people that are built in the roots of tradition Mm -hmm. go to these events and they're like, Hey, this was actually fun. It was a change of pace. It was different. And it's, it's, that's exactly what it is. It's different. It doesn't mean it needs to take over golf. It was a good alternative to to the sport. And so hopefully what I see in the future is that this is like a new series that's kind of, you know, built into the, what the tour is doing and it can bring new audiences into that's the sport. The and that's we've seen that with live so far as there's parts of the world that are thirsty and hungry for professional sports and professional golf. Australia being one of them live just held an event there that had 90,000 plus fans that went and attended it. And it's a great success here in America. People kind of like and know golf, what it is for today. And mm-hmm. lives kind of challenged that. So I think we're going to see a little bit of that where it's just more of a youthful movement. Correct. A team sport it. of it yeah. is also a new aspect of it. That's exciting because with golf, like I said a few times, it's an individual mm-hmm. sport. The team aspect of it is really exciting. It's new. And I think it's going to draw a lot more new audiences in the future. Well, I, I think that's ultimately that's what the PGA saw, right? Yeah. It's a way to reach a new demographic of, of people that, 
after about a hundred years of, of playing the traditional game, you, you know who's showing up. <laughs> yeah, right? This is going to bring a whole new crowd. And I think, uh, you know, for better or for worse, it's going to be healthy down the road anyway. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, Travis, you are a big supporter of charities. And our final minute here, what are you up to that we can get behind in supporting your charities and the things that you support? Yeah, no, I appreciate you uh, bringing it up. We, uh, we've we worked with Children's here in Dallas. They're building out the expansion of their Plano campus, and we pledged a million dollars um, to them uh, late last or the year before last, and we've been able to raise a million-plus dollars for that cause and continue to do so with our charity events around the country. And so we have one coming up on the 10th of July up in Calgary. Mm-hmm. We have one in L.A. in August and one that we're closing down in uh, Florida in October. Okay. So I try to spread it out throughout the country, and we do tons of different auctions. Um, we do these events in person, and we're going to be doing some more stuff with some country music stars and doing some live concerts and stuff. So trying to find new and uh, unique and creative ways to where we can bring people together, have fun, but raise money for a great cause. And you know, I myself just get involved with a lot of other people to help with charity because I think it's the best thing to do. And golf is the the best sport to possibly get people together to raise money. And so it's been a humbling experience and it's been a lot of fun. But if people want to get involved in part of that, they can see all the information on our website. 570 we KLIS. And love any support we can possibly get. And what's your website? Uh, PJMemes.com. And then obviously on Instagram, PJMemes, mm-hmm. you can come there and check it out and um, go from there. But Calgary is going to be a good time. We're going to be there in the middle of Stampede Week. So. Mm be a crazy week but hopefully have a lot of fun and raise great money for the kids awesome travis you've been a fantastic guest uh i mean i knew that you would be but you've knocked it out of the park you've given us so much great content we want to have you back we're going to spend more time next time on your creative digital marketing genius okay because there's some things we need to learn from that as well so when it's time to come back we'll let you know awesome. you come yep sounds good i'll plan on it all right folks we'll be right back after the break Are your sales lagging? Are you frustrated with your ability to effectively communicate the goodness of your product or service? Could your income greatly benefit from you getting better at selling? Hi, this is Jay Mamie, the host of the Jay Mamie Talk Show and the curator of the Thrive Sales Mastery Course. I want you to know that there are answers on how you can get better at the skill of selling. Go to my course, the Thrive Sales Mastery Course. Get the answers you need so you can experience the results you want. Thrive Sales Mastery. Are you a busy founder or C-suite executive looking to optimize your productivity and leadership abilities? Your deep sleep could be the key. By improving your body's internal machinery without relying on coffee or sleeping pills, you can access new levels of performance, flow, and well-being. As a result, more free time with loved ones, you becoming a more effective leader, improve longevity, minimize disease risk, maximizing your impact in the world around you, and so much more. Check out thesleepconsultant.com today to learn more. Welcome back to the Jay Mamie Talk Show with your host, Jay Mamie. Welcome back, everyone, to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. On the line right now, our business spotlight is Grant Norwood, the CEO and founder of Norwood Energy Corp. One of the reasons why Grant is our guest today as a business spotlight is because his story is one of our theme. Someone who turned his passions into profit and has done very well helping communities and what he does in the energy business across the country, not just here in Dallas-Fort Worth where he is uh, centralized, uh, but he is helping people all over and he he's doing it because he was able to turn those passions into profit. Grant Norwood, welcome to the Jay Mamie Talk Show. Jay, thank you for having me. How are you? I'm doing well. Grant, before we dive into the goodness of what you are doing with Norwood Energy Corp here in Dallas, can you share with our audience a little bit about your earlier story and get us up to speed? Yeah. I mean, a lot of it, like just what sparked the interest just came from uh, growing up in Dallas, but spending a lot of time in West Texas on a family property. They're big oil and gas CEOs that fly in on King Airs and you're like, oh, wow, how's that all come to play? Um, and then grandfather would build pipelines and, you know, I got to rub elbows with those guys, but I didn't have any idea about how it worked or any of that. So I got a job at land and title, um, actually just taking pictures for real landmen and courthouses and just turning the stuff in so they can do the hard stuff and then kind of work my way into that role and, you know, a little bit of success and made a few deals happen. And I actually got to chase this passion into becoming an operator now, it took a while, but that's kind of how it started, where it led, and uh, here I am. So you're the CEO and founder of Norwood Energy Corp. Uh, you, are, at one point, 
you were an employee working for someone else and all of a sudden you got driven by this passion, this this dream uh, to become uh, your own, to have your own firm. And now you do and it's very successful. What happened in that transition and what inspired you to say, you know what, I, I, I'm going for it. What, what transpired in your mind and in your heart that can help another person possibly going through the same thing following your footsteps? Honestly, like I was, I, do you even call a, a 1099 employee an employee? I guess you would, but uh, you, I couldn't even get a W-2 job for um, anybody in the oil and gas business. And there's so many different way or functions within the business, so many different uh, service providers. And our service was uh, doing land and title work, going and knocking on the door of the farmer uh, that owns the property that you want to drill on and then having to go back into the courthouse and make sure he has the rights to drill on it. Somebody could have sold it. Hundreds of people could have owned it because they came from a big family and the guy died. Uh, but I literally started from the bottom. I knew from day one what I wanted to do. It was just about getting there, you know, and you can't even, you know, as a teenager and kind of it's like in your early 20s, sometimes you can't even put gas in your car to get to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hard. But if you're going to, gr- if you grind it out hard enough, I'm living proof that you can get there. Uh, I don't think too many people have had more of a rough start than I did. Uh, but you just start with whatever you can get your hands on. What I could get my hands on was, you know, a little $15 an hour job in a courthouse. Um, And it was never the same courthouse. They send you all over the country. Um, You know, they'll pay for some of the expenses. You get there, you're kind of told what to do. And if you do it well and you don't make any mistakes and you don't complain too much, uh, you might actually make it as a landman. You know, when you uh, start doing the land and title stuff, you start figuring things out. Like you really understand how this stuff's essential um, and what role it it plays in the bigger scheme of actually putting gas in your car because there's a quite a few steps that goes from you know miles under your feet to hey your car running down the road um, and this is one of them this is just like the right to do it um, you know how it's broken down into the ownerships how the funds change hands uh, who they go to um, and just once you kind of play that game then you start brokering these deals uh, that's like the next step in the evolution of a land man um, and really I just was successful in that for several years, stacked away uh, every penny, never lived in more than a one-bedroom apartment, never had anything but a beat-up truck, and uh, just say I still got my first dollar I've ever made, not like the dollar, but uh, what I meant is I left lived well below my means uh, and just squirreled it away because I knew I was going to start off with zero wells, mm-hmm. zero barrels coming out of the ground. Very smart. Zero inventory, zero clients, and almost no experience. Uh, but I wanted to have the financial wherewithal. Um, it's kind of hard uh, for those that have families. Like, nobody depended on me but myself. Um, everybody else in my family is somebody. Uh, they all went to school. They have, like, you know, the typical uh, job, corporate, not corporate. Some of them are entrepreneurs. But nobody has a dream of starting an oil company. Like, right. People kind of raise right. eyebrows at me now and don't even believe it when I say it. So I almost don't even like saying it especially out in public. So I call another one of these dreamers. No, but um, there's nothing wrong with being a dreamer. Don't come up with a new idea every week. I'll say that. Uh, if, you, if you can, you really just don't, you hadn't found it yet. Because uh, when you find it, you know, uh, it'll, it'll hit you like a ton of bricks. You won't be able to think about anything else. Uh, you won't care uh, if you miss out on things with family, friends. And I know it sounds terrible, family, really. It's like, no, but this is what you're destined to do. It's going to smack you, and it's going to smack you hard. You're going to be like, oh, shoot, and nothing else is going to matter. That might sound sacrilege to some, but uh, that's why there's only some of us. Right. So maybe you're that person. Maybe you're ready to do it. Um, if you are, you'll know it, and you won't care what people think. Actually, you kind of like that they don't believe you. Uh, it make you stay at the office till midnight. You know, make you stay all weekend. Uh, where I am, and got a $90 million entity at 18 months and you know what I'm still up here till midnight some nights and most weekends but you know it's going to pay off people are going to people talk about me after I'm gone and that's the only reason I'm doing it I, I probably wouldn't do as much business and make a lot more money if I actually charge what I'm worth for the clients I do have and don't really have to rely on others but um uh, it, it, so so Grant let me ask you this Grant let me, let me ask you at what point did you decide or did you realize rather that your decision 
to become an entrepreneur, to to build your own company in the energy business, which is right, oil and gas is very difficult. So, I mean, you went for it. <laughs> you really went for it. At what point yeah. did you did you start to realize, hey, this is working? And uh, and how long it was it before that realization hit you um, and got you reinvigorated to to keep going as obviously you are? Well, that's what I might have to think of. I guess um, the person I work for. Uh, before before I got started, you know, I kind of realized when it was working for them. But actually, about after the third well we drove, uh, three's not many, you know, it's, or you can buy hundreds of them for the cost of half of one uh, if they're older. But, you know, once we drove that third well, I was like, huh, okay. Because the first one, you're like, hold your breath. This, there's nothing more risky than drilling an oil well. Yeah. Uh, nobody would drill oil wells if they knew how, well, not nobody, but, I mean, honestly, about one in eight of them work in most cases. So we take a super conservative route, but still, when you put your life on the line on something that's miles under your feet and the geology has got to be successful, the people working the rig has to be successful sometimes or has have to be talented. They can be very talented and still bad things can happen between the geology, the people, the mechanics behind it. Um, there's so many factors and that's, everyone's like, Oh well, yeah, the price goes up and down. Yeah. If you got something to produce that matters, but some people don't even get that far. Um, but once you, about that third well, I stopped like losing sleep going, is it going to work? Is it going to hit? What's going to fall apart? Um, is anything going to burn down? You know, and, and then I was like, okay, this works. And, you know, about the 40th, well, I think it was well number 43. I'm like, okay, I'm, I don't need to sit on another one of these. Um, I, I know enough. I don't, I'm still learning. I'll learn until I die. But I know enough that I think I won't run into any problems. And I love you guys to death, but... I got to go. Grant, in our final minute here, you have been now in business for a few years, highs and lows. But what would you say, looking back now, has been the driver and the high that you've experienced that someone at the cusp of making a decision like you did can walk away with knowing this is ultimately what they're going to experience if they do it right? Hmm. Okay. Well, that is that is kind of tough because I think the answer might change a little bit based on who you ask. But I think if you get down to it, Probably freedom, mm-hmm. um, just freedom to make their own choices, freedom to you know craft their own way, and just have the time that, that they want that they're probably lacking at the moment. That's right. And, you know, I might not take a lot of it now, but I really feel like uh, I could go so much further. You know, I, I mean, there's only a handful of people on the planet that can do what I do, um, but I think that's only because they don't believe in themselves. I don't think that I'm anything special. There's much smarter than me. Uh, it sounds like I work hard. You know, I was if I worked that hard, I probably would have gone farther in athletics and school and stuff. I'm the guy, you know, I'm shoot, running, out of breath. I'm going to stop. The guys who kept going, they could outdo me, but I believe in myself. So I know I can go further. You can too. Uh, but freedom is, is kind of the ultimate goal. Once you, uh, once you step out, you get the, kind of whatever that security is, whether it's a million, two million, five, ten, fifteen, fifty, a hundred. Whatever you like have in your head that that's what you need to achieve. Once you get there, you're cool. But what is that? That's freedom. Grant, one of the things that most people don't realize is freedom is worth fighting for. And that's what you're doing. That's what what your your story is about. Making a decision at one point to turning those passions into profit, fighting for that personal freedom. Sometimes you get there quickly. Sometimes it takes longer. Sometimes you work harder. Sometimes you don't work as hard. But freedom is worth the price it asks of you to pay when you arrive at that place where you control your time, your decisions. And like, as you said, um, what you want to do with your life. Grant Norwood, we appreciate being on the show, brother. The best of luck to you. Thank you very much, Jay. Happy to be here. Folks, that wraps up another fantastic week of Thrive-Minded content. We will see you all here next week on the Jay Mamie Talk Show.